Good morning. Merry Christmas. Oh, my goodness. It's gotten to you. I get it. I understand. Those of you that are online, hopefully you're more enthusiastic about Christmas coming in just a week than the people in our room this morning. We're glad that you're here, glad that you're worshiping with us. During this month of December, we've been looking at the Savior comes and looking at uh, the passages in Matthew and Matthew's telling of the coming of the Savior. In the first week, we looked at Jesus in history, and Scott spent some time looking at the genealogy of Jesus, which is super exciting, right? Um, Your genealogies. And what we discovered in looking at the genealogy of Jesus is that Jesus' genealogy is not much different than yours and mine. There's a lot of good people, and there's some bad characters, and if you can't figure out who it is, it's probably you uh, in there, right? And we see that in Jesus' genealogy. But what Matthew is telling you through that genealogy is who Jesus was, his kingship at that birth. And then last week, Doug looked at uh, Jesus in his humanity, that he is fully God and fully man. And the humanity of who he is is super important because if he isn't human, he doesn't go to the cross. He doesn't feel the pain of those nails. He doesn't feel the pain of that crown on his head because if he's just God in his time on earth, he's just there. He doesn't feel those things where we talk about him being able to have compassion alongside of us because he's felt those things that we feel. But he also looked at Joseph, which I think often gets overlooked in just Joseph's obedience. And we're going to see it again today in, in the latter part of our passage this morning, just Joseph's obedience and what he's being called out to do, and how without hesitation, without question, he takes Mary, his young bride, in the circumstances of their lives, and surrounds her, and comforts her, and is compassionate towards her. And so not to be missed in the Christmas story is Joseph's obedience to God. And this morning, we're going to look at Jesus in the midst of hostility, I don't know if you recognize it, but the world we live in can be hostile at times. Uh, Maybe it's not just our world, but maybe it's in your family. It's hostile in your family, and you're definitely not looking forward to next weekend because it's going to be hostile. There's a lot of arguments and a lot of tension that comes with that. Maybe you found hostility at your workplace, and man, there's a lot of hostility there. And in the middle of our hostility... Jesus comes to disrupt. He comes in the middle of that to disrupt. And that's what we're going to look at today. We'll be in Matthew chapter 2 here in just a minute. When Miranda and I got married, uh, we knew that we were going to have kids. And within uh, two years, we found out that we were pregnant with our first child. And so we did what any parent was going to do when they found out they were going to have their first child. We started preparing, we had a plan for that first child. And so we went to work in the, in the room of our house and we changed it into a nursery. We painted, we put cribs together. We, uh, we put pack, I figured out how to do a pack and play. Um, I had to learn how to put a car seat in the car and where it buckled in and how to put my knee into it and really tighten it up and all those kinds of things. We went to the hospital to get a tour and to see where we would be when we came in and everything was going to be going great. And we'd lay down, and Miranda would lay down on the bed and I would lay down next to her because it was going to be a lot of work for me too. And uh, 
we, would, we saw all those things and we prepped and prepared and we had a plan. And then one day, I'm on my way home from work and Miranda calls me and she says, Matthew, are you on your way home from work? And I said, yeah, I'm just a couple minutes out. I said, why? And she said, well, I'm feeling a little bit of something. I'm not sure if it really is what I think it is, but I'm hoping that you'll be home soon. I'm like, yeah, I'm just two minutes out. I'll be there in a few minutes. And so over the course of the next couple hours, those contractions started getting more and more. And we had phone calls with the doctor. Should we come in yet? Should we not? Finally, the doctor said, yeah, let's, you need to come in. And so we made our way to the hospital and uh, Miranda's in pain and she's hurting. And we get to the hospital. They check us in. We've done all the pre-stuff. We get to the room and we think, man, our plan is, is going as planned. And then it wasn't. Then in the middle of all of this preparation, I had the camcorder ready, you know, I'm ready to take the pictures and all these kinds of things. The doctor comes in and we start hearing things on the monitor and there's a disruption in our plan. What we had prepared for starts to go south very quickly. And in those moments, I'm worried not only about my baby, but about my wife. And the doctor says, I'm going to step out for just a second. I'll be right back. She's gone more than maybe three seconds, it feels like. She comes in, she has a pile of scrubs and a hat and some booties and gloves and a mask. She says, here, you need to put these on. I'm like, what am I doing? I need to put these on. Yeah, we're going to go do an emergency C-section because there's some trouble in the birth. And in those next moments, (laughs) as a dad-to-be, I sit outside the operating room as they wheel my wife in, and I don't know what these next moments are going to be like. In the disruption of my plan, it was supposed to go this way. And in the middle of my plan, God disrupts. And I can remember sitting outside the operating room as they prepped Miranda in my scrubs, full on, no camcorder at this point. There were going to be no pictures. I just sat and said, God, I need some peace in this moment because you're disrupting everything that we had planned, and I just need you. And maybe that's where you are this morning. It's hostile. It's chaos. Your plans haven't gone the way that you had hoped they had gone, and yet this morning what I want you to see is that the Savior still comes. In the middle of our hostility, in the middle of our chaos, in the middle of our disruptions, Jesus comes. If you have your Bibles, Uh, Take them out. If you have a handout, you'll have the passage there. It'll be on the screen as well. Let's stand as we honor God's word this morning. Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. 
He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. You can be seated. Charles Spurgeon, an English pastor from the mid to late 1800s, has said this, a stir begins as soon as Christ is born. He has not spoken a word. He has not wrought a miracle. He has not proclaimed a single doctrine. But when Jesus was born at the very first, while as yet you hear nothing but infant cries and can see nothing but infant weakness, still his influence upon the world is manifest. There is infinite power even in an infant Savior. And this is what we see this morning, that as soon as Jesus takes his first breath into the world, he starts to disrupt he starts to disturb. Now, some background to our passage this morning. I need you to know that Mary and Joseph and Jesus have moved from the stable manger accommodations and have moved out of that into another nicer accommodations. They've moved from the streets into like Motel 6. I don't know, but uh, it's better accommodations nonetheless. And baby Jesus is probably a little bit older than swaddling clothes baby Jesus. He is growing in age. There's probably a few months that have transpired from Matthew chapter 1 and the birth of Jesus to when we get to Matthew chapter 2. And I know that that disrupts some of your nativity scenes, but the Magi aren't showing up on, the, on that oh holy night, okay? They've had a long journey and a long travel, and there's a few other indications from Luke that Mary and Joseph have some traditional Jewish things that they have to take care of with the birth of a child. In fact, Luke tells us that they take the child to the temple to dedicate him. And so there's some time frame that happens in between Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2. We're not looking at the manger, swaddling clothes Jesus. He's a little bit older, but Matthew really doesn't give us the details of how old he is. We just know that he has moved out of that. The census is over. People have started to leave Bethlehem. And it was probably easier for Mary and Joseph just to settle down in a family, a relative's home, and say, let's just enjoy this for a little bit. So that's where we find our passage this morning. But we also, in chapter 2, verse 1, start to see who Jesus disrupts first. The first of those, in verse 1, we see, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod... King Herod is also known as Herod the Great. And in many ways, as a leader, he was great. 
Um, he was responsible for a lot of building projects. He built various temples, in fact, in, including the temple in Jerusalem. He had built colonnades and fountains and even cities. He built summer homes. He was a great builder in that respect. He was also a great um, administrator during famines. He had provided food for people during famines. But he was also a great politician because he was appointed as king by the Roman government. He did not have any rightful heir to that throne. He had only been appointed to that throne by the Roman government. And he had survived through some civil wars uh, in Rome and had remained as king in Jerusalem. He was also great in the fact that he was hostile, brutal, Uh, In fact, Augustus, a Roman emperor, said at one point bitterly, he said, it was better to be Herod's pig than his son. Not a ringing endorsement for Herod. He was brutal. And we'll talk a little bit more about that brutality in just a minute. But we're introduced to the hostility that Jesus enters into when we meet King Herod. The second group of people we meet is the Magi. These magi from the east, now you need to understand that these magi are godless Gentiles from the east. Where in the east, up for debate, we could say Persia or somewhere like that. All we know for sure is that they came from the east and they had followed a star. These magi were stargazers, they were astrologers, they were learners, and uh, that's who they were. In fact, later in Acts, we learn about these wise men, and they become sorcerers, um, dream interpreters. These are the individuals that we meet here in chapter 2, verse 1. More than anything, though, these magi were seekers. In their studies and in their learning, they took notice of a new star in the sky, and were led to follow it. The subject of their seeking then is discovered in verse 2 of our passage. Verse 2 tells us, these magi came, and as they came, they were asking this question, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They're seekers. These godless men from the east have seen a star that God has placed before them, and they seek this king of the Jews. Now, it's an interesting statement from these wise men, these magi, because typically we don't ascribe kingship to babies. For instance, as long as I've been alive, Prince Charles has been Prince Charles. He wasn't born King Charles, he was Prince Charles. And to his friends and family and to everyone else, whatever tabloid he was on as as a young man, he was Prince Charles. It wasn't until he was, his mother passed away, Queen Elizabeth, that he was given the title of King Charles. And for many of us, it's still hard to think, you know, he's Prince Charles. No, he's now King Charles. We just don't ascribe kingship to babies or to little kids. They, don't, they grow into their kingship, but until that point, they're prince and princesses. They're, then they're kings and queens later on. They don't They grow into those things. But here the Magi come seeking the king of the Jews because you see, this is who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't wait till he's 30 years old and then all of a sudden he is king of kings and lord of lords. 
The songs we sing at Christmas, like Silent Night, tell us that uh, born is He, Jesus. He is King, Lord of all, right? That we see that at the very moment of His breath, that He doesn't grow into King, but He is King. And, and for these wise men to be seeking a King of the Jews amongst the Jewish people who were despised and discouraged and low. They were a defeated people. And these magi from the east step into the city and they say, hey, we are looking for the king of the Jews. It's remarkable that they would even ask this question. But you see, Jesus is worth the trouble. He's worth the trouble of seeking. And these magi are looking for him. They are seeking him, this king of the Jews. And the question then becomes, how did these magi from the east, these godless men, know to be seeking the king of the Jews? As I mentioned, they were learners. They were studying all kinds of traditions and cultures. And no doubt, as people in the east, they had run into exiles or generations from the exile of people from Israel and Judah and Judea. They'd run into those people, those generations that had passed that knew of God's Word. In Daniel, we read about wise men who Daniel would have had influence over, and Daniel would have started to share with them. And it is possible that in their learning, these wise men had come across these ancient scriptures, these things that Daniel had shared with wise men like these, and had told them that there was at some point coming a Messiah that would come and a star would shine, as Numbers tells us, in the, in the sky, and it would point in the direction to this coming King of the Jews. And so Jesus comes into this hostile world. The fact that these magi are seeking Jesus reminds us of why Jesus came He came for all people. You may feel like these men from the east, you're seeking direction. Maybe you're even purpose for your life. You could study and glean lots of advice about what to do next, but maybe what you need to hear this morning is that you belong among those seeking, those seeking Jesus. He came for all people. And the presence of the Magi in the city seeking this king is evidence of that. As they step into the city and they ask this question, where is this child born king of the Jews? Verse 3 tells us where the hostility starts to arrive. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. The word disturbed there means troubled or terrified. Paranoia ran deep in King Herod's mind. As I mentioned, he was a brutal king. He had killed uh, his wife. He had killed his mother-in-law. He had killed two sons. He had killed chief priests in the Sanhedrin. He had killed councils of people, hundreds and hundreds of people. And Herod was brutally hostile to the world around him because he was paranoid because he was not the rightful king of the Jews, that someone was going to take what was his. And so he was paranoid. And so as these wise men from the east come into the city and they're asking this question, where is this king of the Jews? Herod's spidey senses start to tingle a little bit. 
He's like, what are these guys looking for? Are they not looking for me? No, they're looking for someone else. Well, I need to know something more about them. And so Herod invites these wise men to ask this question, who is it that you're seeking, this, these, this king of the Jews? But notice when the Magi arrive in the presence of Herod, they do not worship Herod. They do not offer gifts to Herod. They continue to ask their question, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. So Q unhinged Herod. What do you mean you're looking for the king of the Jews? You're looking at the king of the Jews. No, 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 no. The child who's been born king of the Jews. And it's not just Herod that becomes troubled. Our passage tells us that all Jerusalem with Herod is troubled. Now, whether Jerusalem is troubled because Herod's troubled and it's like happy Herod, happy life kind of thing, or it's because when someone starts to start asking the question in your town, where is this one king of the Jews? And you know the history that there is a coming Messiah and you're a Jewish person and you haven't been obedient. You haven't been following that one true God like your ancestors did. And these wise men from the East who are godless are seeking the Messiah who you know from Scripture past, your heart begins to be a bit troubled, right? There's a disturbance in your soul that starts to quake a little bit. And as these wise men walk through the city, it's like that scene in The Lion King when the hyenas are saying, Mufasa, and they're like, say it again, ooh, Mufasa, ooh, there's a shudder that comes. I can only imagine that as these wise men walk through the city, and they say, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. The Jewish people who had longed for the Messiah are troubled in their heart and saying, why aren't we looking for that? Why aren't we seeking that? And Jesus still does that today. Like Herod, like those people that the wise men encounter, we build our own kingdoms. We love to build our own realms. We build our kingdoms up with our selfishness and our pride and our desires, and we say, look at the kingdoms that we are building. And then someone mentions Jesus. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Because if, if I listen to those words, then Jesus is just going to disrupt. He's going to disturb this great kingdom that I have built for myself. And we think, I don't want that. I don't want Jesus to disturb what I have. And like Herod, we respond with hostility and anger. and We push Jesus away with our rebellion and our sinfulness, and we say no to Jesus. And what we fail to realize is that when Jesus disrupts our world, he brings a life that is far better than anything that we could build. He builds a kingdom in our hearts and in our lives that is much more than anything that we could have built but still, we like our kingdoms. We like our realms. And so like Herod, we push back. We're disturbed. We're terrified. We're troubled at the mention of Jesus. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe this morning you've stepped into this place and you really do not like to hear the name of Jesus. You'd rather wash it from your mind and your consciousness completely because it disrupts it disturbs, 
it troubles. And what you need to hear this morning is that Jesus comes for you. He comes in the middle of that disruption, not to bring more hostility, but to bring peace. And so Herod does what any good ruler would do when there's a threat to his potential throne. He needs to figure out who and where, and that's what we see in verses 4 through 6. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Verse 5, he says this, in Bethlehem, they reply, in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I want you to notice how quickly these religious leaders and scribes answer the question. What do you know, guys, Herod asks, about this king of the Jews that's supposed to be born? And these religious leaders, these scribes, quickly respond to Herod. They said, oh, yeah, we know that. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. We, we read about that in, in lots of our scriptures. The prophecy tells us it'll be in Bethlehem. I know that place is tiny and small, but the scriptures tells us that he would be born in Bethlehem. Well, that's interesting, right? It's interesting how these scribes and religious leaders know exactly, and yet it's the godless, it's the men from the east who are seeking Jesus, not the religious leaders not the scribes. They're not seeking Jesus. They know what the Scripture tells them, but they're not seeking Him. In fact, Matthew spends a lot of time, more than any of the other Gospels, writing about the religious leaders and sharing about them not in a great light often. In fact, you can just go one chapter over in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 3, and you see what Jesus, how Jesus refers to these religious leaders. But who were they? Who were these religious leaders in this? The first ones are the chief priests, and the chief priests represented Jewish worship. However, however, they had become less than that. They had become a group of corrupt, religiously oriented politicians. There wasn't an act of worship in who they were. They were yes men to Herod. They were politicians at best. And they, though they knew what it was to worship, to worship God, they had traded that for the politics of the day. What about these scribes? The scribes represented Jewish law. They, on that hand, they were lawyers who knew, taught, and interpreted Jewish law, both Old Testament and the traditions that had developed around this law. These were not intellectual dummies. These were smart guys. These were people who were some of the most learned people of God's Word of the laws, and yet they missed the message. They missed the message of the Savior who would come. They knew all kinds of things about what the Scripture said, but they were missing Jesus. And it's a warning for you and I not to become apathetic, not to become those that would know so much about God's Word, that we would know these things in our minds and yet miss the message of who Jesus is and the grace and hope and love that He brings to us. It's a warning for us. Yes, memorize Scripture. Yes, 
quote scripture often, but please, please do not miss that we are called to be obedient to God's word. We're called to live that out, not to sit back with all of our knowledge and say, yeah, Christmas, it's all about Jesus, but I can't stand those people over there. I have it here, but don't have it here. Don't miss that. These religious leaders, their apathy towards Jesus is only going to grow. As it grows, they become more hostile towards Jesus. Every chance they got when it came to Jesus, they were asking questions. They were bombarding him with things. They were like, we've got Jesus this time. We're going to trap him in this. And every time Jesus would catch them where they were and say, you know what? You know a lot about these things, but you do not know me in your heart. And it leads these religious leaders to the point of bringing Jesus before the Roman council and saying, we need you to do something about this guy. We need you to kill Jesus because he has disrupted our world to no end. It's a warning for us not to be caught in the trappings of all the knowledge that we can have and yet miss Jesus. Wherever you might stand this morning, Please do not allow your hostility to grow and infect those around you. Instead, allow the grace of God to be true in your life. Verse 7 and 8, Herod hears these things and he calls the Magi secretly. He found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He has some motives in mind. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Here's all I'll say about this. Sounds like kindness, but looks like deception. Herod has no intentions of worshiping Jesus. He has no intentions of bowing before Jesus and saying, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. What Herod has in mind is still hostility. He still desires to destroy and and destroy those that might come take his throne. And so it may look like kindness to these magi who kind of don't know Herod, and they walk out and they say, okay, we'll do that. We'll let you know what we we find out. But Herod has destruction in his mind. And we move on in verses 9 and 10. We see this. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, I don't have time to talk, nor do I have the intelligence to talk about how the star got there, what it looked like. All I know is that that star became the guiding light for these wise men from the east. It was their GPS, just as the pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud had been a guiding place for the people of Israel. The star had been that for the wise men. It had appeared to them and it had moved with them and it settled over the place where Jesus was. And it brought them to the place, to the end of their journey. I don't know how many road trips you've been on, but I've been on a few uh, with a full van of people. And there's something about a road trip that I love and there are things about a road trip that I don't enjoy. The things about a road trip that I love is that I get to see all kinds of different things. I see different parts of this country and this world, and I love those things and I love to experience those things. But there are times when we're traveling, sometimes 10, 12, 13 hours in our van, that as we're getting closer and closer, it seems like those last few miles to our destination feel like an eternity. 
I don't know if you've ever been there before. The kids are tired. They're ready to be out of the car. It's been a few days, and the destination is just on the horizon, and yet there is very little joy in our van. (laughs) Just being honest. Dad's tired of driving. Mom's tired of answering 100,000 questions from the people in the back. The kids are tired because it's been a long journey, and there is very little joy in those last few moments. And I can imagine for these wise men that they are at that point. They've stepped into the presence of Herod. Herod hasn't really helped them too much, but they step out of Herod's presence, and they step into the night sky, and they see that star again, and there is joy that fills their heart. There's joy and anticipation of what stands on the other side of that door. There's joy that fills up these godless men from the east, a joy that starts to fill them up that says, we have reached our destination. There is joy when we stand in the presence of Jesus. There is joy when we find in this searching in a hostile world, there is joy when we find Jesus. The guidance system that God had provided for them brought them outside of the house where Jesus was. And the scripture tells us that they were overjoyed. This Christmas, maybe that's not you. You stand on the outside as well. And life, darkness, challenges, circumstances, they have crushed you to the place where there is no joy in the world. And you stand outside that door in anticipation, wondering, if I step inside, will I find it? Will I finally find what my heart has been longing for? Will I? And so there is this great anticipation with Christmas. We see it with Mary and Joseph in the anticipation that this child would be born. We see it with these wise men as they stand outside the house where Jesus is and there's anticipation. This Christmas, maybe as you step through that door, you find joy for the first time in your life. For the first time in all of your seeking and in the first time in all the hostility of the world, you find joy this Christmas. Because here's what these magi do in verse 11. They don't just enter, then they open their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It was customary. If you go to see a superior, you're going to bring something with you. You you bring a gift. And so these wise men, these magi have brought gifts. And while there's not universal uh, recognition that there's some symbolism in the gifts that they bring, we can see that in their journey that it has brought them to a place of worship. They bring their very best before Jesus. Again, these godless Gentiles from the east come before Jesus They kneel and they present him with these gifts. They bring him gold, gold, gold emphasizing Jesus's royalty. Matthew is clear throughout. He is recognizing Jesus as king of kings. And gold was customary. We see that. If you were royalty, you had gold, 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 gold. So you can know for a fact, I am not royalty. I have no gold. All right. I have a few gold-covered coins in my house, but that's it. 
But these wise men bring gold to acknowledge Jesus's royalty. They bring frankincense. They open their treasures and present it with gifts of gold. Frankincense. Frankincense emphasizes, emphasizes his deity, Jesus's deity. Frankincense was used in worship. When you'd step into the temple for worship, there would be this aroma of frankincense that would take that would, you would take in, and it was worshipful to recognize this frankincense. And when frankincense is used in the Old Testament, it usually refers to something related to worship or service to God. We can see that in who Jesus was, His deity. We come before Him and worship Him. The myrrh, they presented Him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh. Myrrh was emphasizing his humanity. We'll see this in other places in Scripture. In fact, on the cross, he is offered a mixture of, of a liquid and myrrh. When he's taken down off of the cross, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they prepare his body with a mixture of myrrh. Myrrh represents his, his humanity. It was often used in anointing of men. But we see it here, and we understand that it's a foretaste of why Jesus came. He was born to die. He came as a payment for the penalty of our sins. Then we get to the last part of our passage this morning. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another way, another route. Verse 13, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up! He said, take the child and this mother and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Verse 14, so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. It's interesting that we tie back to the Moses um, narrative that we see and we spent some time in this fall. The flight to Egypt is significant. Herod has no desire to worship Jesus. In fact, he's devised a plan to kill all the children who are two and younger in the city and in the surrounding areas. He has no desire to worship him. And yet when, Jesus, when God comes to Joseph, he says in a dream, go to Egypt the flight to Egypt is significant. As we mentioned in our Moses series, Moses was this mediator between God and the people of Israel. But God knew that there was going to be a more perfect mediator between God and man. And that person was going to be Jesus. And that person of Jesus is going to come out of Egypt. And so Jesus' flight to Egypt initiates a new covenant God was making through his son. Because out of Egypt, God delivered his people. And out of Egypt, God was, sending, God was sending His Son, the ultimate deliverer, that Jesus would deliver us from our sins. Out of Egypt, the people mourned and grieved. Out of Egypt, God was bringing a new hope to the world, one who would bring hope in the midst of hurt, one who would bring life out of death. You see, we're really good at building our own kingdoms. And we see Jesus as a disruption to those things that we're building. But what seems like a disruption 
is really what God intends to use to draw us closer to himself. And so this morning, it really comes down to a simple question. How do you respond to Jesus? The world is hostile. We'll acknowledge that. But the real question is, how do you respond to Jesus? Are you seeking Jesus like the Magi? It's okay to have questions. It's okay to be in this place and say, I don't really know everything there is to know about Jesus, but I'm just here because I'm curious. I'm here and I'm seeking. And, and who are you talking about, this King of the Jews, this Jesus? It's okay to come into this place with questions, to be seeking. It's okay to have been in church for a long time and still be asking some of those questions because like the Magi, as we seek, we begin to find. Jesus desires for you to find him. He wants to be found. If, if he didn't want to be found, he wouldn't have sent his son to this earth to live a life, to die on a cross for you and for me. He desires for you to be seeking after him. So maybe you're the magi this morning. Or maybe, maybe you're missing Jesus, like Herod and the religious leaders. Maybe you're one of those. You know a lot of things about the Bible. You know a lot of things about Jesus. You know no, 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 no to no end. But you've missed in your heart Jesus. You know, the interesting thing about Herod is that he recognized that there was some truth to what these wise men brought. Otherwise, why go searching for the babies? He knew some of that to be true. Yet in his heart, he couldn't reconcile himself to come and find Jesus. So maybe this morning you're missing Jesus in the midst of what's going on. You've missed the hope he brings. Thankfully, that's not the end. Thankfully, he's a God who loves unconditionally, and you can still find him today. Maybe you're yielding to Jesus like Joseph and Mary. Joseph's obedience is incredible. This is the second of three dreams that Joseph will have that God will warn him and move him, and every single time Joseph says, yes, he's obedient to God's call. And maybe you're Joseph and Mary this morning. You need to find yourself yielding. That thing that God has been impressing upon you, that movement of God in your life that says you've been bartering with him about, he's just asking you to be obedient this morning, to be obedient with your life and what he's given you, what he's entrusted you with. In all of the chaos of Jonah's birth, that moment, as the doctor said, we were one of those weird couples that didn't know what we were having, whether it was going to be a boy or a girl. So we had two names, a boy name and a girl name. And in the middle of that chaos that I was sitting next to Miranda, the doctor says, hey, what are your names? And I said, well, if it's a boy, it's Jonah Michael. If it's a girl, it's Bethany Joy. And he says, from behind this curtain, he holds, holds Jonah up and he says, meet Jonah Michael. <laughs> and he hands him to me and all of that chaos, all of that disruption is at peace as I hold Jonah for the first time and I tell him, I love you. Jesus this morning says, I love you. In the middle of your disruption, 
in the middle of your hustle and bustle, you said, I, I don't have time for Jesus. He still comes. In the midst of your disruptions and the relationships and all those things, Jesus says, I love you. This morning, the Savior comes to all people to declare, my grace and my love is for you. In the midst of your hurt, in the midst of your disruptions, I've come to bring hope and peace. Let's spend a minute reflecting on that this morning. Father God, we come into this place carrying lots of different things. We've got caught up in the hustle and bustle and in that hustle and bustle, we've become hostile. We've become angry and hurtful. We haven't been filled with much grace. That little thing that set us off and we've snapped and yelled and in our anger, we've disrupted somebody else's life. We come into this place and, man, we don't really know if we really want anything to do with Jesus. But we're here. We have some questions. And in this place, you say, I've come. I love you. I care about you. I sent my son for you. Maybe we come into this place and we find ourselves wrestling with yielding in obedience to what you're calling us to. We wrestle with how it might disrupt the kingdom that we've built and our selfishness says no, and yet you continue to pull us towards you. Father, in this place, you come. Maybe this morning we've never said yes to you. We've heard about you, we've known things about you, we're on the peripheral of that, but we've never given our hearts completely to you. This morning, we come before you, we humbly submit ourselves, we worship you, and we say yes to Jesus, to the Savior who has come. Father, we thank you for who you are, that in a hostile world, you would come and offer grace and forgiveness to a sinful, rebellious people like us. Thank you for the gift of your Son. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.